Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou. We're back for another really good episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. We record this live every week on Tuesday. So come by and see us at thenonprofitexchange.org. Register and you'll be notified when we go by live. But you can always come back and watch the episodes. And most of all, get them on wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to it and you won't miss one of these episodes. Today, we're going to talk about emotional hmm, emotional things. So, uh, so our, our guest today is Dr. Reggie Thomas, and he's, our title is Don't Let Your Emotions Hijack Your Success. So before we dig into the content, uh, Reggie, tell people a little bit about who you are, your background, and why are you doing this important work? Well, again, thank you, Hugh. It's great being with you today. I appreciate the invitation to share this, this moment and experience with you. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Tennessee, a little town called Huntington, Tennessee. Uh, grew up on, on a farm out in the country and um, migrated to California back in 1996, I believe it was. My wife is a Californian. So I've been married 32 years and I have two grown daughters. Amanda is 28 and Emily is 26. Um, and I, uh, I, uh, my background as a career person has been pretty diverse. I've been a, a professor, I've been a, a pastor, and I've also been an organizational development consultant. And uh, uh, my uh, specialty is in leadership. My doctorate is in uh, organizational leadership which is kind of where this journey began. Uh, when I entered the doctoral program, I immediately began thinking, okay, what am I gonna write a dissertation on? And so um, I started looking at my own life. And uh, one of the things that attracted me to emotional intelligence was the fact that I recognized my own deficits. I've always been a people person. I've always loved people. I think I've always worked well with people. But where I struggled was in areas of conflict, working with difficult people. And I often found myself reactive, emotional. And I thought, you know, if I'm gonna be successful in life, I've got to get on top of that. So I really began, you know, this study of emotional intelligence out of my own need. It wasn't to impress professors or to even get a degree. It was really to enhance my own life and my own skills. So that's how this journey began. And so, what is your, your passion in your work? What is your top passion? My top passion is developing people. And um, I believe that in order for people to be successful, they have to be relational. They've got to get the relationship thing right. And um, my, my, my vision, uh, my purpose in life is to develop leaders. And I'm convinced that there are a lot of leaders out there. They have great skills in terms of vision, of administration, but I see leaders struggling in the area of relationship. And so um, being a people person, a people connector, 
and just learning from my own life experience. I know that the secret to success is how you manage relationships. And in order to do that, you have to, you have to be emotionally intelligent uh, to deal with different types of personalities and to be able to work under pressure as you work with people. It's a very important skill set you have to have in order to succeed uh, as a leader and in life in general. I am into that. Um, and like you, I spent a career, I spent 40 years in church music ministry. So I was the backup for you, you guys who were preachers. And, you know, you really can't get up to preach if you had bad music before that. It's <laughs> but it's, it's, it's about um, really the work that we do in anywhere is about relationships. And the, the saying about an orchestra, if they respect the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If they don't, they play just exactly as the conductor conducts. So I, I, would, I would up what you said that it's, it's the highest priority is to have those relationships and maintain those relationships. So it's, it's the, key, the key factor. So your topic is about emotions, EQ, all of this stuff that I'm, some people may not be familiar with. So why don't you give us a context for what that's about? Okay, great question, Hugh. So emotional intelligence basically is being aware of the emotional aware of the world, being aware of your own emotions and then being able to regulate those emotions. Now, one of the things, Hugh, I often tell people is emotions don't really have labels. We tend, we tend, to, we tend to label emotions. For example, happiness, that's a positive emotion. Uh, anger is a negative emotion. And what, what, the, what the experts say is that emotions are neutral. We were created as emotional beings. We were created to express emotions and to feel emotions. So what, what causes an emotion to be either bad or good is how we manage those emotions. Every emotion has a purpose. And so basically it's being aware of the emotional world, being aware of the emotions of others, being aware of your own emotions, and then being able to manage them and to regulate them. That's what emotions are. Emotional intelligence is. But, uh, but the key is understanding that emotions are neutral. They're not bad or good. It's, it's what you do with them. It's how you express them. So how are ways that emotions hijack our leadership? Going back to your title, that's a, that's a fantastic title. I love it. Well, I don't want to bore the audience with, with uh, science and neurology, but when I, when, I, when I started my study on this, where I began was uh, research uh, just from neurology. When, 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 uh, when emotional intelligence first became on the forefront, it was really scientific. And then you had uh, men like Daniel Goldman uh, who popularized it. Uh, Daniel Goldman is probably the premier expert on emotional intelligence. There's other writers and experts out there. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like there's Terry Bradbury and there's so many others that have written on it. But now it's something yeah. that's been incorporated in the business world. It's been incorporated in church life. It's been incorporated in all aspects of society. It's very practical now, not just scientific. But where, where I came up with this hijacking um, concept is it's really through how the brain works. So you have the emotional center of the brain and then you have the rational center. And typically what happens is when we get into a situation that's conflictual or difficult or highly emotional, um, the first place that that is processed in the brain is in the emotional 
uh, center of the brain. And we tend to react if we uh, allow that to happen. And so what happens is, is that oftentimes if uh, we encounter a bad stimulus, someone offends us, someone says something to us that uh, we don't like, or they make us angry or whatever the case may be, we immediately react. And what emotional intelligence is, it's pausing. It's pausing to think through how you're going to respond. Now, let me say this. Emotional intelligence is not repressing your feelings. Right. Neither is emotional intelligence expressing your feelings uh, inappropriately. It's, it's stepping back, thinking through how you're going to respond to that situation and acting versus reacting acting in the appropriate manner. And so what often happens is, is that the emotional brain hijacks the rational brain. And so if you were to offend me, if I'm not in my best state of mind and my emotional intelligence skills are not kicked in, I'm gonna immediately react. I'm, gonna, I'm going to react to you in a very negative way. But if I pause and think through how I need to respond to you, that conversation, when I approach you about how you offended me, is going to go much better because I'm going to have my emotions regulated. And so that term hijacking just simply means that we act on our emotions. We allow our emotions to dictate behaviors that really we don't want to express, but we do it reactively. And so the emotional brain hijacks the rational brain. That is so important. Um, I've got the Goldman book, and he, he breaks it down to uh, the components of self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. Um, it's, a whole, it's a whole network of how we, how we manage self. Another, right. another writer, which you may or may not be familiar with, is Murray Bowen. Yes, Bowen. the Bowen theory. Yes, yes. So how does that tie in? It's, it's about managing self. And Bowen's position is you always stay in your thinking self, but your thoughts are, inf are informed by, from your emotions, right? Right, right, right. Well, and the research, and this is interesting research, the research shows that when we get into a, a highly emotional situation, the, the, the rational brain goes offline. It goes offline for 30 minutes. And, and you're all in your emotions then. And you know that part of the brain that, that regulates emotions is called the amygdala. And that kicks in and you begin to feel things and you begin to respond in a, in a way that, that is highly reactive, highly defensive, highly emotional. And, and so um, that was interesting research to me because that's something that I learned just recently that, you know, the, the, the cognitive part of your brain, it shuts down for about 30 minutes, which, which is why you need to take that pause and think uh, before you uh, respond to something. That is such valuable advice. You know, when I took um, coaching clinic and studied corporate coaching, we were taught to pause for three seconds after someone finishes talking. And if the, if anything creates anxiety, that's a good time to catch a breath. Yes. And I, I think you use the word react and respond and opposed to respond. Um, we're in a very volatile world now, and there's a whole lot of reacting and accusing and pointing fingers. And I, you know, I, 
I challenge the people pointing fingers and blaming to find anybody that's innocent in DC, especially, you know, everybody's contributing in, in a very unproductive way. And the more it escalates, the more emotion it is. And some psychologists call it flooding of your brain when you just give over to the emotions. So what's the danger of not understanding that for a leader? And I guess this applies to any sector where people are leading clergy or nonprofit leaders or mid-cap corporations. It applies anywhere, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, the, the reason this is so important to leadership, Hugh, is leaders, they manage and they direct people. Leaders don't operate in isolation. Leaders, they develop people. They empower people, they motivate people, they collaborate with people. And so the leader not only has to regulate his or her own emotions, uh, they also have to be able to regulate the room, the emotions in a room. Uh, in any leadership position, as you work with people, you're gonna get on topics, issues where people don't agree. And the people that you're leading, even though you might be emotionally intelligent, you're gonna have people in the room that uh, may not have your acumen in EQ or emotional intelligence. So you have to be able to manage that room, manage that group, manage that conversation so that it doesn't get out of hand. And that's a real skill uh, in terms of how to do that. In no way is that avoiding it, right? Right, right. No, you don't avoid. Emotional intelligence is not avoiding and it's not sweeping issues under the carpet. So... Give me an example of, you know, something arises and we need to deal with it. So how do we um, make sure that we're dealing with it in a calm, conscious, fact-forward manner and not reacting to it? How do we then go forward without saying, oh, I'm going to wait a couple of days, which might be disastrous? How do we get to that point that we know we can then respond? Well, you, you, I know that you're very familiar with Speed Lee's work on the, the different levels of conflict. There, there, you know, there are five levels of conflict. And with each level of conflict, level one is the lowest level. Level five is the highest level. And there are different dynamics that take place as you go through those levels. Obviously, uh, the more intense the conversation is, uh, the more serious an issue is. Um, and how much of a contrast there is in different personalities, um, that's going to dictate the level of that conflict. With each level of conflict, something happens in the dynamics. Uh, level one, level two, it's very issue-oriented. Everybody in the room, they, 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 the, the purpose there, the objective there is to solve the problem. But when you begin to get into level three and level four, the issue gets lost. And now it's personal and people begin to attack each other versus tackling the problem or the issue. But also with each level, it gets more and more emotional where you lose sight of objectivity. And so what I typically do, what I've done in, 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 in my life as a leader is if, it's, if it appears to be a level three, level four conflict, but we have to solve something, we have to um, uh, make a decision in the moment, I will shut the meeting down. I'll say, okay, folks, let's take about a 10 minute break, 15 minute break, um, just relax, refresh, get something to drink, get something to eat, you know, use the restroom, do whatever you need to do. We'll come back in 10 or 15 minutes and we'll, we'll reconvene this conversation. That gives people time to think, it gives people time 
to um, get their emotions in check. It gives them time to kind of cool down. Um, if it's on a lighter level, what I typically do is I will redirect the conversation. I will remind people this is the objectivity. One of the things that I've also learned in conflict management, and this is a part of emotional intelligence, is typically David Augsburger, he's a, he's a conflict specialist, and he uses this concept called the third way. And so typically, you know, if, if there's a disagreement between two individuals or two groups, you know, one group or one person has an opinion or a perspective, the other group or person has a perspective or opinion, they're fighting it out, they're discussing it, they're debating it, and that's good, that's healthy. But what, where it becomes unhealthy is it, when it becomes an impasse, you know, uh, they, 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 the tension is so high, everybody wants their own way. And so David Augsburger says that what we need to do, let's, uh, let's think of a third way. Let's think of another option. Let's abandon both perspectives and let's think of a third perspective that might be a better solution. And that's, that's, a, that's a situation where conflict is healthy because it allows you to be more creative. It allows more ideas to be generated. And generally what happens, if you can get a group to arrive at, let's agree on a third way or another way. Uh, typically that strategy or that idea or, or that approach to a situation uh, in bringing solutions is much better than either groups or either person's uh, idea in the first place. I don't know how you knew that, but I actually wrote about it. I was looking in one of my books, uh, um, Building High Performance Teams, there's those stages of conflict and it. You know, something simple becomes nuclear if we don't deal with it. Now there's, and, and you're so helpful there and they, we got to manage it. And it doesn't mean all of the time, we don't need to solve it. We just need to have people, sometimes people just want to be heard. And, and one of the people I interviewed for this long article, uh, Bishop Will, William Willeman said that um, clergy as a, as, a, as a particular profession avoid conflict and then therefore becomes more more prevalent and it gets worse and he said conflict is really the sign of energy in an organization so we don't ever solve it we just manage it so i think what you've just talked about is getting people into meaningful conversation especially when it gets elevated and people forget what in the heck they're talking they were arguing about in the first place yes <laughs> yes and, and so I guess also differentiating uh, uh, and back to Murray Bowen in his writing about family systems is there's what he calls the uh, focus child. Uh, Johnny grew up with everybody blaming Johnny as the bad boy and Johnny goes into work. Johnny creates problems to get attention. So how do we then deal with somebody that really is creating conflict to draw attention to themselves? You know, one of the things that I really appreciated about the Bowen theory, because um, I did, you know, I, I use some of that in my doctoral dissertation. One of the things I really appreciated is, um, you know, he talks about how the way we manage emotions, it really goes back to our childhood, our family of origin. You know, some families, uh, let's just love each other. Let's not talk about anything that's difficult. Let's not talk about heart. We're just going to love each other. We're not going to deal with issues. Okay. And what that does is that conditions a child who eventually becomes an adult to be conflict avoidant, to avoid the hard and difficult conversations. There are some families where it's just open expression. You say what you feel, you say what you want. Um, 
that creates openness in an individual, but what they don't learn in that skill, in that uh, aspect is they don't learn how to, to manage it. And so um, going, back to, going back to conflict, um, conflict management, I think there are two different things to conflict management. One is conflict resolution and one is conflict utilization. Not every conflict is gonna be resolved. Mm-hmm. Some conflicts can't be resolved. They're too sharp. There's too many personalities involved, too many perspectives. And so then the leader has to turn that thing around and say, okay, group, how are we going to um, utilize this conflict and turn it into something useful? So it's how we're gonna utilize the conflict. So conflict, again, is not negative. Conflict can be very positive, you know, which is why it's so uh, attached to emotional intelligence. You know, how are we gonna use this for the good of the group? How are we gonna use this for the good of the family? How are we gonna use this for the good of our organization? How are we gonna turn this into something that's gonna be beneficial? So it's conflict utilization. So your company is peak with a, with two E's, P-E-A-K-E. Right. Potential, peakpotential.com. People can find out more, I have a few more questions, but when people go to Peak Potential, what will they find? They will find uh, a list of services that I offer in terms of what I do. Uh, I, uh, I do executive coaching uh, for leaders. And one of the things I deal with leaders on is emotional intelligence. So that's the one-on-one uh, executive coaching. And that's probably one of my favorite things that I do. The second component they'll find, I do a lot of workshops and seminars and motivational speaking. And I have a variety of topics that I do. But I also work with large organizations, medium-sized organizations, nonprofits, in consults. You know, I do culture uh, assessments. I do uh, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, projects. I do team building uh, projects with organizations. I do strategic planning. And so they'll find that. But they'll they'll also find that this is something that I'm very, very passionate about. So one of the things I deal with, and I'm sure you do, and the reason I have coaches, um, one of my coaches is a, a colleague of Marie Bowen, Roberta Gilbert, who um, for 13 years asked me really good questions. It helps me see my blind spots, which they call them blind spots because you can't see them. And we all have them. So what are some of the blind spots leader ha- leaders have, especially about this area of EQ and how it's important? Well, a lot of leaders are not self-aware. I mean, that's a, that's a huge issue that I see uh, in leadership. And, um, and you referred to it earlier, you know, the, the different components of EQ, you know, there's self-awareness and then there's self-management and there's social awareness. And then there's social, and then there's a relationship management. And I think the blind spots lie in all four of those components of EQ. Some leaders are not self-aware. Some leaders don't know how to regulate their own emotions. They don't know how to navigate those. And then some leaders don't have social awareness. They don't know how to read people. They don't know how to empathize. They don't know how to motivate people. And then of course, you know, in leadership, uh, a big issue is just navigating a, a, a large collection of people, managing different personalities. And uh, that requires, you know, that requires a, a, a relational skill set to be able to do that. So I think, uh, I, I think a lot of leaders uh, have blind spots in those four areas of EQ. 
Amazing. And um, so to, to uh, people that engage you, is one of their, I think, I think most people are blind to the fact they have blind spots, but does it come up as a pri priority for people to be able to look at those or is that something you acquaint people with? I typically acquaint them with them. It's interesting, Hugh, uh, when people secure me as an executive coach, they, they bring things that they want to work on. And, um, and my coaching approach is I dig, I dig very deep. And when, and I go back to not just the issues, but I go to the triggers. Um, a lot of our, a lot of our behaviors and the way we manage our life and the way we lead people, there are, there are triggers. And uh, I'm going to be authentic just for a moment here. Uh, earlier in my leadership, um, in my leadership journey, uh, I struggled with anger. Now, you may find that surprising. People that know me, have not known me very long, they find that very shocking because, you know, I, I do see myself now as a very calm, reasonable, rational person, but uh, it's a learned skill. I had to learn that. But uh, I struggled with anger uh, for the first, probably the first half of my adult life, Hugh. Um, and I didn't know where that came from. And so I don't want to go too deep in it because it's a little too personal, but I found that the trigger had, it went back to my childhood. Um, I had some anger issues uh, towards my father and I won't go into the, to, to the, the details on that, but I was angry at my father. And so when I became an adult, anybody that resembled my father, anybody that uh, behaved the way my father, it, it, it created a, this feeling of anger within me. And so what I discovered was that was my trigger. So you've got to know the trigger. You can't change your behavior unless you know what the trigger is. And for years, I struggled with anger. And, and I'm, th I'm, I'm thinking here, hey, I'm a nice guy. People like me. I like people. Why, why, why do I get angry? Why do I blow my top at times? And it's because I had this unresolved anger in me. And it wasn't until I became aware of the trigger. I was already aware of the emotion, but I had to learn where is the trigger, okay? And so um, I now know the trigger people. I mean, I know the types of personality that I need to be aware of. I know the type of individuals I need to be aware of. I, I'm aware of the situations that can create anger, but it's understanding the trigger. So in my coaching, I help people understand what those triggers are. They need to identify those. That would be what I would call a blind spot. People don't even know they're there, do they? Right. That is so helpful. So for people not understanding, learning, and mastering EQ skills, um, what's the problem they're going to have? What are the hazards? Oh, gosh. You, there are so many hazards. I mean, and, and, and this doesn't just affect leadership. Hugh, it affects all of life. Uh, I think one hazard is you're not going to have a lot of close friends. You know, when you look at the um, when you look at the friendship pyramid, you know, you have acquaintances, casual friends, good friends, close friends, intimate friends, and most people, and especially men, don't have a lot of close relationships. And I think it's because I think women do a much better job of, 
of recognizing emotions, being comfortable with emotions. And in order to have close and intimate friends, there has to be an emotional connection. So if you're not, if you're not emotionally intelligent, you're not going to have the acumen, you're not going to have the ability to develop close friendships because you're going to always be guarded. You're going to keep people at a distance because you don't understand the importance or how to connect emotionally with people. Another hazard is, is that you're not going to be able to manage conflict. I mean, conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's normal. It's natural. It's a part of life. And um, you have to take whatever conflict management style you have and use it appropriately to resolve conflict. And so um, you're going to have you're going to have issues with that. Um, another issue is, is you're going to sabotage your life. You're going to sabotage relationships. I mean, Hugh, all it takes is it takes years to build a strong friendship. And one expression of anger, one negative or hurtful comment, one negative action can damage that friendship. And so there are just all kinds of hazards if you're not emotionally intelligent. My, my, my. So I'm interested in it. How do I proceed to learning uh, about EQ, learning more? Of course, you gave us one article, but how do I how do I grow my skills and become uh, become better at using and being aware of EQ? I think one thing, Hugh, is uh, accountability. Accountability. And when I was going through my struggle with trying to um, resolve the anger issue in my life, my wife was my accountability partner. Uh-huh. And she, uh, she held me in check. You know, when she, when she saw me defaulting to my natural tendency of how I responded to difficult people, uh, she would call me in check. Now, she wouldn't always do it in the moment, uh, but when, when I would get home, she would ring me out and said, Reggie, you blew it again. And, and that's the thing about emotional intelligence. You're not going to be perfect. I mean, even the most emotionally intelligent people are going to blow it. I mean, I still blow it. I think we all do. But it's being aware and it's having somebody to hold you accountable to that. The other thing I think is, I think it takes a coach or a counselor to help you work through some of those issues. Um, I also think you need relationships with other people around you to, to help you with that. And then there's just a great deal of reading, a great deal of reading that you can do. And Daniel Goldman, he's got so many books out there that I think are very helpful. And what I like about Daniel Goldman's books are they're very, very practical, extremely practical tips on how you can do it. You know, he has exercises that you can go through to kind of help you deal with uh, emotional situations in the moment. You know, that chapter I looked at in this, this article, it was a chart, so it was so easy easy to to follow. Now you have some um, motivational reading, and there's some articles by you. And I guess these are by you, aren't they? Yeah, they're all by you um, on your website. On the website, yes. Yeah. Well, you've really been checking me out, haven't you? <laughs> I got to. I'm trying to find really hard questions, but you're just knocking them off like they're nothing. So, uh, Reggie Thomas, Doctor Thomas, you. Um, You've presented something we've not ever had in all these 300 interviews in the nonprofit exchange, and it's very, very helpful. 
so put it in you've you've been a leader as a clergy um i don't know if you've been a leader as a nonprofit executive but what are some of the most important reasons maybe they're separate but they're similar you have people around a cause who are who are a, on a journey together but what are some some of the uses that that would say to them i need to step up my game and learn this so give us some encouragement for that sector okay so first of all hugh um for those of you that um after listening to this conversation and you go oh my goodness i need to work on this um i'm i'm now aware that i have triggers i'm aware that i don't manage my emotions appropriately uh, i don't express them well i don't know what to do with them and that's a i mean that's another thing about emotional intelligence is a lot of people they don't they feel these emotions, but they don't understand them. They don't know what to do with them. Uh, the, the good news is, is that your, your EQ acumen is not fixed. And often when I, when I say that to people, they go, wow, really? And I think what people do is they, they equate EQ with personality. And of course, you know the research behind this, the psychological research behind it, that most of our personality, it's formed and shaped and pretty much fixed by the time we're five or six years of age. Emotional intelligence is not that way. You can be reconditioned. So for those of you that are struggling with this issue and you're struggling with self-awareness and regulating your emotions and you don't know quite how to express them, there is hope. Uh, your EQ skills can change. And again, it goes back to physiology. It goes back to neurology. The brain is pliable. You can recondition the brain. You can train your brain to take a highly emotional stimulus and move that to the, to the rational part of the brain, learn how to think through things, learn how to um, think through how you're going to handle a situation and come back to that situation and, and respond versus reacting. So there's hope. And so you can change it. There is hope. So... I make the mistakes that I teach people not to make. You confess that you, you know, you make the same mistakes. We teach this stuff and knowing that nobody's perfect is helpful. Um, however, when we do something that we regret, say something we regret, how do we show some grace toward ourselves and get past that? You know, that's a, that is a great question. That is a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think number one, Hugh, it's important to recognize that you are human. You are, you do have human nature. We all have that within us. And uh, you just, you really, you embrace it, but you acknowledge it. You acknowledge it. But one of the things that I have found so freeing is the ability to go back to a person and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I blew it and name it, you know. A lot of people don't know how to apologize. And I think apology, a true authentic, authentic apology is, is being able to own it and being able to name what you did uh, to offend that person and to express you know, a heartfelt apology and a commitment that you're gonna work harder. And then when that person extends grace and forgiveness to you, that gives you freedom. I, I, I think we've all had experiences. I know, I know you, you've probably experienced this. You know, you offended somebody, you felt badly about it. Uh, 
you dealt with it in your own heart, in your own soul. You went back to that person and man, they didn't give you grace. You know, they continue to beat you down about it. And you're giving this heartfelt apology. You're sorry. It's, it's sincere. It's authentic. It's true. And they don't receive it. That's what makes you feel even worse about what you did. But when they extend grace and they say, hey, Reggie, I forgive you. Uh, I understand. Let's move forward. That's what frees you up when you make those when you make those mistakes in the way you relate to people. That is great advice. I know um, I'm my worst critic, and a lot of people I work with are also their worst critic. And we create barriers that we don't need to create. So you you use the word authentic earlier. I think leaders have to be authentic and transparent. Um, and so you've just modeled that. Any final thought you want to lead us with today? This is great stuff. Well, I I I I just want to say to people that um, success in life is relationships. Um, Hugh, uh, I I don't see myself as a very intelligent person. I don't see myself as a highly skilled person. I think the one thing that um, I think the one thing that I have learned to master in life that's been working in my favor is my ability to love people, work with people, um, and uh, even, you know, deal with and work with difficult personalities. And I think my success in life has come through my relational abilities. Um, here's something I want to leave people with. Um, Daniel Goldman, you probably have read this here. Daniel Goldman says that 75% of our, of our success in life is our EQ skills. 25% is our IQ. And see, our society, number one, has reversed that. And number two, they don't take into account the emotional and the relational domains of life. You know, I know as a kid growing up, it was all about having a high IQ. It was all about taking the right courses. It was all about going to college. And I'm, I'm pro-education. I'm pro-development. I'm pro-expanding your mind. But that only gets you so far. Uh, pastors that have uh, not excelled in ministry, leaders who have not excelled in the business world, it's not largely due to their education, their knowledge, their skill set. It's managing people and working with people and dealing with people. Your IQ, your skills will get your, get your foot in the door. It'll get you down the road, but eventually you're going to have some difficult situations and that's where your EQ skills is going to take you even further. So I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough that the relational aspect of, of life is the most important thing that's going to attribute to your success. Reggie Thomas, really good words. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, Hugh. This was great. Great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>